This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. And now, Christ and Pop Culture presents Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining the conversation today. I'm Erin Straza, and with me is Hannah Anderson. We're your hosts for Persuasion, the place where fine ladies, rational minds, and the best kind of company gather to discuss all sorts of ideas and issues. Right now, we're in the middle of a series called The Creative Process, and in each episode, we are processing an aspect of pursuing creative work, especially in light of the digital era, which brings us pros and cons to that creative work. So we've covered all kinds of things so far. We've talked about making space for your creative work. We've talked about how art has a temporal nature. We've talked about voice development and platform and reach and rejection. Hannah, we are just cramming a whole lot into these episodes, aren't we? We are, and I have enjoyed it so much. And I don't know. Now, our listeners are pretty sharp. Um, And I don't know if they've noticed a pattern here that's maybe different than the other series we've done. I I mean, I would assume they would since they are bright, but we've actually been able to have a guest every cycle, except for our first introduction. But we've been able to bring somebody on to help us think through the different angles of creativity. Um, And that's been something I think that's really added to the conversation. I think so too. And although I love it when we do our our one-on-one discussions so we can get right into some things that we've been hashing out usually before we even hit record. But when we bring a guest on, especially for this series, I feel like it's bringing the different angles of creative work so that it's not just all going down one type of media or one type of approach. And so that has been so helpful for me to understand different types of art and different types of pursuits, because there are so many ways that you can express yourself creatively, whether that's professionally or as a hobby. And so I just feel like it's been really rich and eye-opening. And for us, I think, you know, both of us are more in publishing and language and communication of that nature. And so to have guests on like Michelle, who's a studio artist and Mm -hmm. Kendall, um, that even on a personal level has been very enriching Mm -hmm. just to force me to consider my own craft through different eyes Um, Mm -hmm. and the things that they were able to bring to the front and you'll have an application on writing, but I don't know that I would have been able to reach the um, insight that they offered us through their own work. So I have loved the ability to interact with different media, um, different types of artistry, different types of creativity, because I think it has brought different angles to the conversation. Mm -hmm. And I feel more invigorated, like even thinking about Kendall with baking, hearing her talk about 
her love for bread and for baking bread, it just made me think, oh, I just want to bake bread. But I think what it's doing, even though I'm a writer, it's making me think through, how do I want to play with my work again? Like, how do I want to get that joy and satisfaction? But because I'm seeing it from somebody else, from a, from a different view and different perspective. So I've loved that. I feel very encouraged in the creative pursuit. And this week, true to form, we have another guest um, with us. And this week, we're going to be focusing in on musical creativity um, and the tension of authenticity while we are performing in front of other people. But before we get there and let you know who our guest is, um, I just have to share a quick story. Is that all right, Erin? Oh, I would love story time. Yes. Story time. So our guest today, I have, she, she doesn't know this, but I have a long, deep attachment to her music because um, in the early 2000s, I was in my early adulthood, early 20s, and I was just coming out of maybe a more traditional background, a more conservative background, the kind of background where we listen to um, hymns mm-hmm. and we listen to maybe classical music. And that was like the extent of my musical literacy. And I was coming into adulthood and I'm kind of trying to broaden my palette, but I'm trying to be very, you know, safe. So because (laughs) in my early twenties, I'm not sure I'm kind of tiptoeing here. Right. And so I really started exploring um, more contemporary Christian music, more modern expressions of music. And one of the first CDs that I bought for myself was a CD from this musician. And I want you to know, I wore that thing out, wore <laughs> it out, listened to it on repeat over and over and over and over again. And those songs really just lodged into my heart. And to this day, they are part of the way I think, part of the way um, I approach the world. And that is why today is just such a fantastic day for me personally on Persuasion, um, because our special guest today is Sarah Groves. Hello. Hello, Sarah. Welcome to Persuasion. Thank you so much. Hannah, I love that. That's very sweet. Um, and, And I mean every word of it. Like I can still, it was the CD Conversations. And um, songs like I think Generations was on that. Um, there were some other ones that just played in my head and my heart for the next decade and a half. So mm. thank you for being with us today, Sarah. Thank you, guys. Well, Sarah, we are thrilled to have you here. Now, I'm sure a lot of our listeners, maybe most of them know who you are, but I just want to give a little bit of a, a brief summary of who you are and what you're doing. You are a singer and songwriter. You are from St. Paul, Minnesota. Is that still correct? Yeah. And you are co-founder of a community art center, which sounds fantastic. It's called Art House North. And you also do work with International Justice Mission as an advocate for victims of human trafficking. So that's the synopsis of Sarah Gross. You've, you've had a, a wonderful career with all sorts of recording, um, wonderful music, but we'd love to hear also um, what you're working on right now. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what projects you have in the works? Yeah. I, uh, so I just finished my, including well, a live album and a best of, I just finished my 14th project, which is a Christmas album. And, um, but I'm beginning to work on a new, a new set of original songs. And that process used to happen for me when I was, you know, on the label and on the road 
um, we would maybe every two years I would have a new record mm. and it's just like uh, has been, um, the process slowed down for me, uh, several years ago. Um, just life. And, um, I was dealing with a lot, a lot of different things, but floodplain was my last set of original songs. And that, mm-hmm. that came out about four years ago. So I feel now the weight of adding to this dialogue I've been having since 97, you know, with anyone who's listening, but I, um, I've been sort of creating a catalog. And so to me, what I say next, really, um, it matters to me. And I think that's always come through in your music and why it set apart your songs for me personally, because I did, um, coming out of a a more, as I said, traditional background where there was a lot more um, maybe rigor and structure on who you needed to be and what needed to happen. And there were certain right ways to go about things. What I found in your music was a a level of freedom, not to license, but Mm. to freedom to be who God made you to be and to be comfortable with creating with him. And it was to me kind of an invitation to um, not feel the pressure, whether from, you know, the religious structure or even the marketplace Mm -hmm. to have the freedom to say, I'm working I mean, called by God to move into these spaces. And that means I'm going to have to close my ears to some of the pressures and really just seek him. Yeah. Yes. And also to, to understand that questions aren't, they're not just okay. They're, they're essential to growth and to being a human being. So um, yeah, the, if we've ever, any of us occupied a more fundamental space, then, then we have had that fear of questioning, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think. And, um, right, you know, right from the beginning, I, I had, my folks were just very, um, we, I grew up in a, in a more strict, I guess, structure, but I, my folks were very, um, I don't know, worldviewy, C.S. lewis mm-hmm. <laughs> And uh, we discussed everything and they, they loved questions. So I, I definitely came up doing that. And, and uh, But I found, I was surprised how surprised other people were when I asked a question like on, on conversations about death. What do I know? What do I really know about death? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, that hit I me. Love I that remember song. that line. I remember yeah. that line. And it hit me because I remember saying to myself, that's the first person I've ever heard ask that question out loud. And I've asked it so many times and she doesn't have answers necessarily, but that's okay. But Mm -hmm. we can ask it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember that line and that song particularly um, really hitting a chord with me. Yeah. I think it's important that we, I had someone say to me once in an interview, he brought me out to New York city on air one. He was just had heard a song on a, um, from conversations, and he said, "This is the most hesitant declaration of faith I've ever heard." Mm. <laughs> and I thought, "Yeah, that's that's exactly right." You know that. Um, so I've been I've been working out the role of certainty and in discarding, I guess, uh, the myth of certainty for a long time. We've been looking in this whole series at different aspects of the creative life and and how that intersects with 
with creating art today in this digital age where there are lots of, there are pros and there, but there are also cons. And part of that is um, looking at things like knowing who you are and knowing your voice and yet knowing that there will be lots of feedback coming your way um, because there are so many outlets for sending your work out so that people can can engage with it, which is what you want. And yet there will be a lot of feedback. And so I'm kind of curious. I'd love, as we dig into this topic, I'd love to hear a little bit about how your approach to your work has changed over the years. Because really when you started pursuing and creating music full-time, um, did you say 97, 98, somewhere in there, yeah. that, that was a very different space than yeah. what we're operating in today. So can you tell me a little bit about how that, that progression has been for you as a musician and dealing with that sort of constant feedback that we have today? Yeah, um, it's hard to know what we're going to make of this, of where we are right now. I, I can't tell if we're going to kind of come through to another space where we look back at this and say, that was insane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know if we'll, if we'll, if there will be some sort of balance or the pendulum will swing, but I, um, it's, it's always been there. I think that the quintessential pieces of it or the, the essential pieces of, of performing and getting feedback have been there, even if you're just in front of a live audience. And learning to deal with both positive and negative um, feedback, I think, is essential to creative process, um, period. And uh, some people are, it's, are like the guy on um, the movie That Thing You Do, you know, where he's, he's sort of, uh, he's got, he has his ideals and he's going to, no matter what, you can't make me sell out. I'm not mm-hmm. going to ever be a sellout. And mm-hmm. at the end, you know, the Steve Zahn character yells at him, why don't you go to the hotel room and write your hit song alone with my principles? <laughs> and I just, <laughs> I love that moment because they have, they've, ab- they've absolutely tapped into the zeitgeist of the moment with this one hit song. You know, they're one, the wonders, the one hit wonders. And um, so they have this immediate sort of positive flood, but then, um, but now they've got to figure out who they are. And the, the, in that movie, I love even the way that they wrap it. They show each one of them kind of just doing normal work. They're just normal people yeah. working vocationally in the arts. Mm-hmm. Um, some, you know, some of them go into giving music lessons. Some of them go into, uh, you know, the guy with the principles ends up kind of becoming a Bob Dylan. He, he write, you know, he becomes this more thoughtful writer who meets people in a, in a different space than he did in that pop realm. So there's all these things. And now it's just all escalated and at such a level of, of cacophony that mm-hmm. it's, it's just bizarre to me. Um, and, and I look at my kids cause I have one foot in a world that didn't have that. Right. So I can at least look back and remember something different. They don't have that. And I don't know what that means for them, you know, um, but I think one, I'll, I'll, I'm talking a lot, but the, the wrap to that idea would be very early on, uh, my only model for sort of regulating myself was this weird version of humility that was really self-deprecation mm. and self-loathing. And I, if something went well, then I would just basically the aftermath. In fact, the better it went, the more harsh the aftermath would be. Mm. And that had kind of been modeled for me as like, this is humility or something mm-hmm. that um, so if something had gone really well, then I'd launch into this kind of like, you know, 
um, I don't, you know, I'm, I didn't do that. I think a lot of that is in our faith language as well. You know, that wasn't me, that was God and that, yeah. you know, whatever. And so we can get into this place. So I, uh, early on Michael Card and I was on the road with Michael Card and he came and found me. He, I think he'd heard me talking to someone after a concert and doing some of this. And he said, you know, you, you are not your gift or he had, he had a framework for me. And he said, um, you know, we get to enjoy this. We, we receive this, these, this music, or we have this experience that we love. We, I, I've often written a song and thought, I love this song. I'm yeah. so grateful that I got to intersect with this. And then the fact that it goes out and has a life past that, that other people might hear other things in it, that they might resonate. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember being in a concert once and a woman came up to me and she said, uh, what, what record has the song that says it's okay to not be married and you don't need a man to complete your life. And I am thinking, why well, I, I don't have a song <laughs> like that, but I, that I know of, but obviously, you know, the, the spirit was working and in your yeah. heart as you were sitting there, you were hearing something from God, I think. Mm. So, um, but Michael was basically saying, we get to be co-celebrators with the audience. Look what God does in us. Isn't this amazing? I, I got a new song and, and I really love it. And I want to share it with you. And it, it just helped me shift to a more positive stance as far as I think some of us self-regulate in a way that's unhealthy mm-hmm. and in churches too. It's hard because you look at the front, we've been really infected by sort of conference culture and you, you look at people who are leading us and it's hard because you feel like, does that guy have a really big head? Is he need, does he need to be like, you know, I think there's this push and pull. I often talk to pastors who are like, how do I, does the personality feel too big? Mm-hmm. But I guarantee you on the inner voice of every artist is just brutal, you know? Yeah. And I think most artists need a good job and need to hear you're doing it, you know? So, right, right. Um, so I think we have to think about what's actually happening and how to, how to not, uh, that self-regulation can really throw you into a, a negative spiral that doesn't help the creative process at all. Oh, it's so true. Mm-hmm. I hear every word of that because it, mm-hmm. it feels very similar to what I experience in my writing. And when folks express joy in a book I've written or something, my first response is, I love that part too. But then mm-hmm. I like stop because I'm like, okay, I can't say that. That's not socially <laughs> acceptable. Um, but I've often explained it to people as well that there is a similar kind of creative process perhaps in parenting where you're you've in that process there's something that maybe reflects you of course your children because you're spending so much time with them they are they take on these attributes they look like you but they are not you yeah. and mm-hmm. and if you miss that this child is not you or this book is not you or this song is not you if you get that wrong it's going to destroy both you and the thing that God has given you to steward mm. and create. Mm-hmm. And so that I love how you're describing that to say that co-celebrator where you can have enough distance and yet rejoice in the experience and the process too, just as if you were in the audience, you know, just as if you were one of the other people looking at this thing that God has brought together um, and rejoicing in it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And we, I think I'm, um, the, on the flip side of that, you know, our language somewhere between I'm a worm and I am made of infinite value, you know, uh, the creative process is happening in there. And at the end of the day, we all want to get better, you know, so to, to, 
do something and then, um, yeah, I just, I, I long to get better. I want to be writing the best songs of my life on into my eighties, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, whether, whether there's someone there listening or not, I really have always processed life that way. And I hope to, um, but I want to keep that, that sort of, and you probably relate to that too, but that that's a perpetual never ending desire to, to write the best song I've ever written. And that won't, I don't think that will ever go away. There's something in that though, that desire to create something that is lovely and um, you can look at it and say, oh, look at, I was able to do that. And, and having that balance of knowing that, okay, you can do it because God has gifted you. But then also to step back and say there was joy in the process of creating and there's joy in seeing the work done and there's joy in seeing other people also enjoying it. That brings a different perspective than it feeling like I'm creating this thing so that my ego is boosted. You know, it's, it's not so much about building up the own name, but there's more joy in this collaborative where look at, we're all enjoying this, this together. Um, But I also think Sarah, on the other side of this, there, there's also the sense that um, you create something and then when people are responding positively as they have to your work, there, there are lots of people who listen to your music and they, they interact with you um, at events or online and they have this very deep connection to you um, because your work has infiltrated their lives. Um, but it's almost as if they are taking joy um, because of what you've created, but they take it to the next step of feeling like they really know you. And so there's this part of the artist of wanting to be known, and yet that's not all of who you are. So I'd like to talk and hear you talk a little bit about that. How do you balance that out where it's like you're known but not fully known, and now yet I, there's a boundary? I have to interrupt here. Yes. Because... I mean, Sarah doesn't know this, but she and I have been besties for the last 15 years. Oh, no, she's my bestie. No, 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 no. <laughs> so I don't even know what you're talking about, Erin. <laughs> yeah, we that's have totally different. Profound this is so connection. different. Not us, Hannah. It, I'm just saying in general, in general. <laughs> it might happen to other people. Right, right, right. Ours is totally founded it's in reality. It's totally different. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that you would feel that way. And I... um Yes, I think this is what came to mind when you were when I was just reading about your thoughts for this for our for this conversation. Mm-hmm. Is that um, it's not just for for the person that's sort of in a role of like singer songwriter anymore, a person that's up front. At the the way that that Instagram and all these things work is that we're all kind of navigating this scene mm-hmm. <laughs> that we're both known and not really known at all, um, all at the same time in. Um, I think sometimes it hits people. They'll be, they'll be telling me something very, very personal. And, um, and then I see, I'll see something in them and I'm like, wait a minute. I, I feel like I know you. I don't really know you, you know, and I, I tend to just want to be, um, like, like I said, a generous, I guess, presence in that moment, Mm. because I've had those experiences where music or movies or books or something has, helped me have an epiphany or realize something about that's life-changing or that has implications for me or that is just joyful. I'm so glad I understand that now. And so Mm -hmm. 
I'm trying to name things in my own life. And the fact that that would help someone else name a feeling or an emotion or, or an experience that they've had is just the greatest joy and the greatest, like I said, collaboration. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I, this, yes, th- this is very interesting as like a, as a public figure right now, because what I tell people is I spent 20 years, I've spent 20 years going to churches, every kind of church you can imagine. So I go to large, massive churches. I've gone to very t- small churches, um, some that are more liturgical in nature, some that are more charismatic. I came up myself in the Pentecostal church um, and now at a covenant church. So I have had a very broad, broad ecumenical experience on the road. And one thing I, I picked up on really early on is that no matter what space, I'd be at an Episcopal church one Sunday and then the next Sunday at Southern Baptist church. And because I was coming in through the music, um, I people would have this sense that, well, this song, this song moved me. So you and I must, we must be alike, mm-hmm. we must think alike, we yeah. must be alike. And so I was afforded this very generous welcome. And the assumptions about me were generous, mm-hmm. because I was coming in through the music. Now, I didn't feel like the right thing to, is, or in the moment, as I say, if some, something came up to say, and I don't think that, you know, or to, or to say, I, so I moved away from a position of where I had been in, in around, I guess a lot. I think I've never really been wired this way, but I had been around some of maybe a right belief police kind of policing mentality or that kind of thing um, to just this sort of um, where, where the conversations we were having were deep, were more personal in nature mm-hmm. and were just really, to me, the things that really mattered. You know, I'm talking about your kids. We're talking about the things that the song sparked this, mm-hmm. this conversation and it ended up being much more human than, than when we, when we kind of click into these, um, these spaces of whether it is, um, <sighs> these days, if it's, if it's more political or if it's more, um, about, yeah, again, just defining belief or those kinds of things. And so I, I had to find my kids and I, I think in in my, my husband and and the kids and I felt after a while, we, where do we find this even in a church, you know, that has this sort of broad ecumenical welcome. And, um, but that's been an, an interesting part of it. Now you have everybody with their personal platforms and the um, everybody's making statements and their statements are being written up. I mean, left and right, we have this, this era of the statement and, and of in a plural society, I think there's such like a fear or a a conversation about pluralism. That's, I mean, Christ himself was born into one of the most plural and divisive, you know, moments. Um, Herod was insane. There, there were layers of leadership that, you know, that had different agendas. Um, and so he's born into this extremely tense time. Paul, when he speaks on Mars Hill, he's looking out over Athens and it is one of the most diverse cities at that moment. There's a confluence of culture in there. So as he stands up on Mar- on Mars Hill and says what he says, he's talking to a really broad range of folks. And so that that ability to both speak truth and be, you know, I guess uh, that's that. Those are the questions on my heart right now. Is mm-hmm. what I, I tend to be a unifier. I tend to mm-hmm. be a person who 
thinks it on unity. If you knew what I really thought about everything, we there would be division. Right, right. <laughs> because I yes. probably don't agree with you on uh-huh. everything. And and so that's been my struggle in uh, in the realm of authenticity, is that I have an authentic self, um, and then I have opinions, and I'm trying to figure out what what merits. Uh, the statement and what merits, you know, uh, uh, just a dinner. I just listened to um, the on being on, uh, is it Derek Black and Michael, the, the white supremacist who went to Shabbat dinner for two years mm-hmm. um, at uh, New Life, I'm, I'm New Life College or something like that. Anyway, but, but it was this incredible story of just of dinner. <laughs> and so I feel like I've, I've been able to have meals with hundreds and I don't know how many people uh, and meet on a level that is, it's a little bit more human right off the bat because it ha- the music is part of it and the creativity, you know, the creative process is there. I don't know. I'd love your thoughts on all that. I, that's, that's what comes to mind when I think about the challenges of being authentic in this moment. I love what you're saying there, Sarah, about um, being generous with our assumptions about people because that's that idea of I'm going to hope all things about all people. And instead of looking for the places where we are different, looking for the places where we connect, knowing that we, if you'd put all of it out, we would all disagree about something. Yeah. And, and so to say that this is what I'm thinking about this thing and to come at that with, um, with humility and a meekness that, that doesn't push to the point where you cause the division to rise up to the point where now we must be on opposite sides yeah. instead of having dinner. Like, I love that. Like come down to, okay, let's be human and let's dig into this because there are differences and yet we can connect. And so often art allows that to happen. I so, think so I think that's yeah. lovely. I hear everything you're saying about that generous welcome that people afford Mm. you, Sarah, because they have connected with your work, maybe at a certain level, a certain time in their life, or even a certain space. I, I find that sometimes people encounter my books in a particular space. And so they carry all of the assumptions about that space with my book. Mm. And so they encountered it at a certain website. Therefore, they've put me in that space and they're comfortable with that space. And so therefore they've determined I am this person. And so I'll, you know, I'll show up to speak at retreats or events and I'm always kind of gauging um, who do they think I am? How far can I go with them? Um, It's not a I hope it's not self-preservation. I hope it's not just an avoidance of conflict, but, mm. but a real desire to steward the the message and what I've been given um, to offer people so that there's not these extra things that are kind of making it impossible for them to connect around that deeper truth. That, yeah. That's my, mm-hmm. that's my hope. Mm-hmm. My, my aim is, I guess the best I can hope for even in social media, because I even find that based on the platform, people know different things about me because the platforms allow for a different expression. So people on Facebook have a certain experience of who I am. People on Instagram have a different experience. People on Twitter know me differently. And it's not because I'm being a different person. It's just that each space is bringing forward a different part of my authentic self. It's allowing for expression of a different part of who I am. And so if you looked across the platform, 
you might say, oh, she's being a different person. I'm like, no, that's if you knew me in one holistic place, that's, I would be all of those things that I am in those different venues. But the best I think, um, because my husband and I have talked about this a lot, he's in ministry and it's a similar dynamic. The best I can hope for is to gain the trust of people enough that when I say something, they will be confused. (laughs) <laughs> and I know that sounds terrible. Is that so they will think and process longer? Like they're just so trying to figure you out? Is that what well, you're hoping? <laughs> I hope that the kinds of assumptions and presuppositions that lead us to tribalism and lead us yeah. to quick answers, that right. my life and my process would be faithful enough that they could no longer use those categories. Yeah. So it's not that I want them to experience difficulty. It's that I want their categories to collapse. <laughs> That's yeah. all. Yeah. To say, I, oh, wait a minute. I thought you were, okay, I have to rethink that because you're bearing witness to something. And mm-hmm. that, yes, I have, I, I think I have similar goals and I have similar questions. Your question about um, self-preservation, those kinds of things. I think it's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it is a good question. And it's also, um, we just won't be able to please everybody. I mean, there will be people that eventually, uh, might, yeah, just you, you, you can't be creative in that with that hanging over your head, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially not in writing and not when you're trying to, you know, I mean, it, especially if you're writing books, <laughs> that's, <laughs> I'm writing three minute songs. So that's a little, a little shorter sentence, but to be able to pack um, truth into three minutes, though, I think that takes a special sort of skill because um, in writing, I think it actually can be more difficult to be more concise and still be able to communicate something um, that is full. And so I, I, I still think three minutes, you're, you're packing in some good stuff there in three minutes. It takes a skill, Sarah. So I'm I'm trying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This whole idea of creating and wanting to create without the, the sway of what other people think of you. Um, is there something in that, that you could, um, maybe give as some, practical advice for our listeners? Is there anything that you can, you can point to or, or encourage them in, in terms of how do you create without feeling the, the pull of um, needing to self-preserve so that you can be free in that creativity? Do you have anything there yeah. that you want to leave our listeners with? Yeah. I, um, so I have a few cat posters in the walls of my mind that um, are stories that have happened to me or that I've come across that, that help me move forward creatively um, kind of in spite of anything. And uh, as I've run into different conflicts and obstacles and things, and there, there are two things I'd like to say. I'd like to say that, first of all, you, you really do have to clear the bleachers when you're, when you go to be creative, you have the, a bleacher set of bleachers full. I'm a friend of mine, writer, songwriters told me once you have to clear your bleachers. Uh, everyone will want something from you. I think when you're trying to, for me anyway, when, when you're being creative, there's some, there's some element of truth telling to it. Mm-hmm. And in order to tell the truth, you're it's, so it's like you've uncovered a, a, a bone in are in, in an archeological dig and you're, um, it, it already exists at some level there, you know, the idea. And I think telling ourselves the truth is very hard. I think it's ex- exceptionally hard. And I'm thinking about it more and more. 
um, and actually working on new music about it. But I think it's so bizarre that someone can meet us for three minutes and really probably be able to say with, with, with uh, some accuracy, um, some things that will take us years of therapy to name. <laughs> yes. So uh, and that's, in, that's just amazing. So that, that just speaks to the veil that we have to our own self sometimes yeah. our own heart or our own ability to say, no, that's true about me. So, um, so I think part of the, a, a big part of the work, if it is getting to tell something that's, that's really true, then um, you have to clear the bleachers because if you're thinking, what will this person think if I say this, what will that person think? Or how does that, how is that received? Um, then you, that's, that can be just a huge, that is one of the huge obstacles to actually Mm -hmm. saying, saying what you think it is. And then also coming at it with not, not knowing, not with your, your idea of what you're going to say. In other words, you don't know what's buried. You found a bone. You don't know what's buried under the ground yet. And to have that honesty or that, um, that, that level of, um, just, well, it's just, I think real that we, we haven't discovered the truth we're seeking. And a lot of us write and create as if we already have, we're basically just proof texting Mm. in an artistic way. Mm. And so how do you not proof text and how do you really go to look for what is there? What, what do I see? What am I bearing witness to? What's happening? What, um, what are, what things are being said to me? So those are the things I would say, clear the bleachers and think about potentially that you're, you're really trying to get at something true like this this thing has a name and you're trying to name it more than create it out of out of nothing you're not sitting down and creating something from scratch you're taking all these experiences and elements that you've collected as you've thought and as you've watched movies and read books and you've had conversations and and now you're huh i'm seeing something take shape and in prayer i'm asking what's this how how do i hold this you know and you're just you're basically persistent in those in those questions and in assembling that that thing, but these to come at it saying I already know what this is now let me tell you what it is, um, I think that's really prohibitive to honesty and authenticity, mm. and I think um, that that's a good those are some good places to start. That's awesome. Well, Sarah, we are so thankful that you would come and talk to us here on Persuasion. We've enjoyed meeting you and talking with you, and I know our listeners are going to love it too. So thank you so much for your time here today. Thank you both. I've enjoyed it. Well, that's going to be it for our episode, even though I know Hannah and I could go on and on and on with Sarah and be besties forever, but it's time (laughs) for us to slow down. So we want to make sure that all of you listeners out there catch up on the series. If you've not caught up, I'll make sure all those shows from the creative process series are linked up so you can catch up and listen to more conversations like this one. But we would also love for all of you out there to join the conversation as well, because we would love to hear from you and keep hashing out these ideas. So, um, Hannah, do we have a question of the day? We do. Um, We talked a lot about how God could use an author or musician or a speaker to help us name something um, that's particular in our lives. And we feel this deep connection with them because of that. And I think we did, it was such a good conversation to explain what was happening there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I want to validate that. So, Instead of pushing that away, I want to know who is your bestie artist? Who is mm. the person that you have a deep emotional connection with because God has used them or used their work in a particular way to help you name something? This isn't fangirling or celebrity. This is 
um, an acknowledgement and a rejoicing in the work that God has done through someone. So who is your bestie author, bestie musician, bestie speaker, a person that God has used in a deep way to help you name something in your life? Um, you can join us on Twitter, of course, as always, at Persuasion CAPC. You can join us in the Christ and Pop Culture Members Forum, um, where we have ongoing conversations like this in the threads. Um, and of course, if uh, you're not a member, you can become a member just um, by $5 a month to support the work at Christ and Pop Culture. Um, this podcast, the other podcasts, all the articles and magazines that um, are happening there. Big shout out to Jonathan Clausen. He produces Persuasion and all the other shows in our network. You can listen to them at ChristandPopCulture.com. You can go to iTunes, search for them there. They'll all pop up and you will have plenty to listen to. Thank you so much for listening to Persuasion. We appreciate you and we will catch you next time. You have been listening to Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at christandpopculture.com slash network. Theme music by Maiden Name. Name.